0: The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zolsdorf. We welcome as our guest today, St. Augustine of Hippo. We shall hear some of his sermon about the church's shepherds and the weak members of the flock. And then I will give you one of my own humble sermons. 414, Augustine gave an enormous sermon, at least two hours long, which has come to be called simply Concerning Pastors or Concerning Shepherds, de Pastoribus. It is an examination of Ezekiel 34, and it was delivered during the Donatist controversy. You may recall that the Donatists had set up altar against altar all through North Africa. The Donatists, who took their name from a fellow named Donatus, considered themselves a church of the pure. In the 4th century, a group of fundamentalists or radicals broke away from the Catholic Church to found their own church. These are the Donatists, and their beef was that during a persecution by the Emperor Diocletian, some of the bishops had caved in, and they handed over their sacred books to uh, the imperial officials. Now, these radicals, the Donatists, came to the conclusion that because the bishops sinned, they were therefore tainted and they could never again thereafter confer valid sacraments. Now in the face of this challenge, a theological and ecclesiological challenge, St. Augustine clarified that sacraments do not depend on the holiness of the priest or of the bishop because Christ is the true minister of every sacrament. Now, at the core of Donatist beliefs, this is, I think, very important for us to understand today, because there are some people in the church who have fallen into, I think, the same notion. Uh, At the very core of Donatist beliefs was the notion that they were were the sole remnant of the church, which, according to St. Paul, was without stain or wrinkle, as it says in Ephesians five. The Donatist position was that God is more concerned with the purity of consciences of priests than the words they say, and that a damaged conscience, the Donatists the Donatist Petillian used the word blood stained, right? Conscience could actually be transmitted to the whole body of Catholic priests collectively, like a material transfer, like transferring a virus throughout the body of priests. They could be infected with the blood-stained conscience, damaged conscience of another one, like the bishop who, who ordained them. So for Petillion and the Donatist, a person is cleansed in the sacrament of baptism, by the conscience of the minister of the sacrament. So if the conscience is pure, he cleanses. If it's not pure, he can't cleanse. So no Catholic sharing in the collective damaged conscience that had been handed along could administer a valid sacrament. Of course, this would create an enormous division in the Church, a theological and ecclesiological crisis A huge division. So the heresy, the error in that thought, brought on an ecclesiological problem, a schism, so that you wound up with this, this group out there who thought they were the Church of the Pure, right, the Donatists. So this materialistic view of the sacrament is at the heart of Donatist theology and ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is just another word for the theology of the Church, who the Church is looked at through a theological lens. And so this materialistic view of sacraments led to the Donatist's obsession also with the appearance of holiness. So in the midst of the world which is evil, the Donatist follower depended on the transference, or at least appearance of transference, of holiness to them from a priest who had to remain entirely free from sin or even the appearance of sin. See, this is a materialistic thing. It was like passing on a virus or passing on a, an antidote or a cure or something like that. But it was a materialistic view. Augustine, on the other hand, combating them, observed that this was spiritually dangerous because it leads to a destructive fantasy about the person of the priest. First of all, it could produce a kind of a spiritual envy, right? Or lay people looking up to this, this unbelievable, almost godlike figure up there, pure, untouchable, and so forth. It could also, even more seriously, lead to the marginalization of God himself, the marginalization of God's holiness, of God's intervention in favor of the priest or the bishop who is materially, physically, right there, right there and present. So they put all their focus on the priest instead of on God and what God is doing. So Augustine, to counter this donatist, materialist, Approach and this obsession with the appearance of sinlessness counters that the only true Holy One is Christ. Only Jesus Christ is the true High Priest. Only He is free from any stain of sin. Only Christ's sacrifice atones for sin not the personal holiness of the minister. The bishop and the priest are themselves pardoned sinners. Priests and bishops must not be seen as being entirely apart, but also as standing together with the people, as they together with the people also have to strive for holiness. They should not be imagined to be holier than any mere human being can be, only Christ is the true Holy One. Now Augustine gets on the, at this, for example, when he talks about how the Lord washed the dirty feet of the apostles. Augustine explains that Christ was pardoning the apostles for what they had done wrong in their ministry. And so when Peter then asks that Christ wash not only his dirty feet, that is, the sins that he committed in his ministry, Peter also asks Christ to wash then his whole he- his head and his body as well. But Christ responds that his whole body was already washed and he had no need for it to be washed again, which is a reference to baptism. Remember, Augustine interprets these things in, in a allegorical way in symbols. So the washing of feet represents the forgiveness of post-baptismal sins committed by the apostles, Christ's priests, in their ministry. In other words, post-baptismal sins, the sins that we commit, the actual sins that we commit, can be forgiven, and that the one forgiven can then still be Christ's minister. The priest who sins, of course he's obviously going to sin after after ordination. The bishop who sins, obviously he's going to sin after consecration, he can nevertheless have his sins forgiven and then continue to minister because we don't, we're not into this materialistic thing. It's not the personal holiness of the priest that matters. Christ is the Holy One and we are only his ministers. God does not choose those who are worthy. God chooses those whom it pleases him to choose to be his ministers. So there is a great concern today, I think. So many people are deeply shaken in their faith because especially, you think about it, the sins of a very small number of priests and bishops. They're shaken about the church, maybe even the very nature of the church. They're shaken about the priesthood. They're shaken about their, their membership in the church. And it's right and proper to be angry, for example, about the crimes when that they may have committed, if they're crimes, number one, if they're proven to have been crimes, and that they actually committed the crimes. Yes, it's right and proper to be angry about those things. But at the same time, it could be that part of the huge upset and huge Anger and the huge shaking of people's confidence in the church itself, or confidence even in in in, you know the bishops, even the pope, could be partly from an idealization of priests and bishops and even of popes. An idealization leading to then when things bust out and be shown to you know they be shown to be sinners or even in some cases real sinners, real criminals even. Then they have a disproportionate disillusionment about the church and about all priests or about all bishops or about themselves and their memberships of the church. And they they lose sight of the fact that the only Holy One is Christ who guarantees that sinners, even the sinners of the gravest sort, can nevertheless return and be competent in the forgiveness that they can obtain through the church's ministry, especially through the sacrament of penance. They, And then if they get so disillusioned or so mired in their own problems or their own sins or whatever, they turn away from seeking forgiveness from the church or they do not allow that others even can be forgiven. We have to be constantly reminded uh, of what Augustine stressed in that controversy with the Donatists. Christians who left the church because they were disillusioned with its outward appearances or its perfection, uh, its, its, its claims or a perfection, uh, the, the legend of its perfection and holiness, even down into its very members. We have to be reminded not to set up false illusions about the holiness of ministers. Priests and bishops and popes are sinners and they are in need of a savior. As Augustine said to his flock in Sermon 340, I am a bishop for you, I am a Christian with you. Right, Meaning that he too is a sinner he in need of a savior. So turning to priests or bishops or popes uh, and looking at them as if they are some idealized uh, holy one is fraught with spiritual peril. We have to admire in them what is admirable, but we also have to have a corrective in our admiration, that is to remember that the sole Holy One, the only Holy One of God, is Jesus Christ. The only perfect priest is Christ. He He is the true and actual minister of all the graces which Holy Church's ministers have the honor to mediate to you and to me. So the bottom line is that you can't depend on the personal holiness of priests or bishops or popes for your own personal holiness. You have to work on that with the Lord and with the grace as he offers you and through the ministry of sinful ministers. There it is. Now I've rambled for a lot longer than I had to about Donatism. So let's get back to Augustine's sermon, which I'm supposed to be reading for you. Now it just happens that the, uh, the sermon here is found in the Roman Rites Ordinary form in the Liturgy of the Hours in the Office of Readings for the 25th uh, Sunday of Ordinary Time, which happens to be the day that I'm uh, making this podcast. And I'm going to read this in English first, in an English translation, and I'll follow with the Latin so that you can get it into your ears. Now, Augustine here is preaching in 414, probably in Carthage. He has in his crosshairs bad or dubious or ineffective shepherds, pastors, but also Christians who, even though they're willing to do good, aren't willing to suffer. And as you listen to this, tune your ear for how he makes use of the image of the man who is paralyzed, right? He couldn't get to the Lord, the doctor of the soul. Augustine often refers to Christus medicus Christ, the physician of the soul. So the, what did the, paralytics man, the paralytic man's friends do? They tore the roof open of the house so that they could lower the man down to the Lord. And Augustine uses this as a symbol for how priests and bishops ought to crack open scriptures in order to help heal the souls of the weak people whom they are there to serve, to help, help the infirm, to help the broken. So Augustine speaks, first in English and then in Latin. What is enfeebled, it says, you have not strengthened. He is talking to bad shepherds, false shepherds, shepherds who seek their own advantage, not that of Jesus Christ, and enjoy the convenience of milk and wool without taking the least care of the sheep or nursing back to health what was ill. Between the feeble, that is to say the not strong, because the sick are also called feeble, But between the feeble and the sick, that is the ill, the difference seems to me to be this. To be sure, brothers, I'm trying at all costs to find some distinction between these terms, and if I made a little more effort, I could doubtless make a better one, and so could someone else more learned or with a more lucid mind. Meanwhile, so as not to do you out of anything, as far as the words of Scripture are concerned, let me tell you what I think. As regards the feeble, it is to be feared that some trial may happen to him and break him. But the sick man is already ill with some kind of greed and prevented by some kind of greed from entering on the way of God, from submitting to the yoke of Christ. Think of people who want to lead a good life, who are already determined to lead a good life, and are less capable of of enduring evil, while they are quite ready to do good. But it is part of a Christian's strength not only to do what is good, but also to put up with what is bad. So those who are apparently very keen on good works, but either unwilling or unable to put up with the sufferings looming ahead of them, are feeble those who being lovers of the world are held back by some kind of greed for many good works are lying sick and prostrate prevented by their very sickness which has robbed them of all their strength from doing anything good such in his soul was that paralytic man whom the men who were carrying him when they couldn't bring him into the lord let down in front of him after opening up the roof, that is, as if you would like to do this with the soul, and open the roof and let down a paralytic soul to the Lord, one gone limp in all its limbs and unoccupied with any good work, weighed down, of course, by its sins, and wasting away with the disease of its greed. So if all the limbs are limp and there is an inner paralysis, in order to reach the physician, The physician, you see, is probably not immediately available. He's inside. The true meaning is hidden in the scriptures. Open the roof by expounding what is hidden and let down the paralytic. Those who don't do this and who neglect to do it, well, you've heard what they hear. What was ill, you have not nursed back to health. And what has been bruised, you have not bandaged. I have already spoken about that. He was bruised or fractured by dread of trials and temptations. Here's something to bind up the fracture with, the consolation I mentioned. God is faithful, not to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. quod infirmatum est, digid hominus, non confortastis. Pastoribus malis, digit, pastoribus falsis, pastoribus sua querentibus, nonque Iesu Christi, et comorolactis, et lane gaudentibus, oves omnino non curantibus, et quod male habuit non corroborantibus. Inter infirmum, id est non firmum, nam dicuntur infirmi et siam egrotantes, sed inter infirmum et egrotum id est male habentem, hoc mihi videtur interesse. Et inimista, fratres, que distinguere utcumque conamur, forte nos possumus, maior diligencia, melius distinguere, et alius peritior, vel luminicor displenior, interim neb fraudemini, quantum ad verba, at in scripture, quod sensio, Locor. infirmo ne acidat tentatio, et eum frangat temendumst. Languens autem, iam cubiditate aliquae grotat, et cubiditate alico imbiditur ab intranda via Dei, ab subeundo yugo Christi. Attendiri los homines volentes bene vivere, iam statuentes bene vivere, et... Minus idoneos mala parti, sicut sunt bona facere. Pertinet autem Christiani firmitatem non solum operari quae bona sunt, sed tolerare quae mala sunt. Qui ergo videntur ferveri in operibus bonis, sed iminentes passionis tolerare nolle aut non posse infirmisunt. Quir goaliqua cupiditate mala amatores mundi ab ipsis bonis operibus vre cantur, languidi et groti iacent, quipe qui ipso languore, tamquam sinulis viribus, nil bonipus sunt operari. Talis sin anima paraditicus ile fuit, quem cum ad dominum in ferre non posent, qui eum portabant, Tectum aperuerunt et deposuerunt. Id est, tamquam si in anima hoc velis facere, ut Tectum aperias et deponas ad dominum animam paraditicam, dissolutam omnibus membris et vacantem ab omni opere bono, gravatam utique pecatis suis, et languente morbo cupiditatis sue. Si ergo, dissolutas sunt membra omnia, erest. Paralysis interior ut pervenias ad medicum forte enim latet medicus ed intus est iste verus intellectus in scripturis occultus est exponendo quod occultabest apiritectum et depone paraditicum quod qui non faciunt et quid facere negligent audistisque audiant quod male habuit, non cobrastis et quod contribulatum est, non coligastis. Iam hinc diximos, fractus enimera terrore tentationum, accedit aliquid unde quod fractum st consolatio illa. Fidelis Deus, qui non vos sinat tentari supra quam potestis ferre, sed faciet cum tentatione etiam exitum, ut positis sustidere. That was just a taste of Augustine from his enormously long Sermon 46 de pastoribus on pastors or shepherds. gears a little bit. On the day I made this podcast, it was also the 18th Sunday after Pentecost in the traditional Roman calendar. Sundays I usually celebrate the extraordinary form. By coincidence or by design, the gospel passage for Mass in the extraordinary form for this Sunday was Matthew 9, when the paralytic man is brought to the Lord who heals him as a sign that he has the authority to forgive sins. And the parallel passage in Mark which is a little more complete, talks about how the man's friends tore open the roof in order to lower their friend to the Lord. So it's the same thing that we have here. The same thing. Augustine says that the paralytic man is the symbol of the soul who is weak from sin. and So the remedy for sin is going to the Lord and doing so with courage and openness to correction. But the man had to get help to get to the Lord, didn't he? So every one of you could be like the paralytic's friends. You can help other people get to the Lord. You have to get to the Lord yourself, too. Maybe other people have to help you get to the Lord as well, help you lower you through the roof to the Lord. And we have to keep our, our, our eyes open for those opportunities when we might be able to uh, pry something open, take away an obstacle to help someone perhaps return to their faith or or perhaps get even more interested in the church than they may be. So, as a way to wrap up this podcast, I'm going to include a sermon I preached on the 18th Sunday after Pentecost. Today is the day I made this podcast uh, for Mass in the Extraordinary form, And this is just a couple of days after this famous or infamous, depending on the perspective, 12,000-word interview Pope Francis gave and uh, was uh, published in in publications run by the Jesuits. This... Interview by with Francis has startled or elated people by turns, but within it is a clear message, and he starts off with this message: We are sinners, he calls himself a sinner from the onset. He calls the church a hospital for the weak, and the damaged and the wounded he calls it he calls it like a field hospital after a battle, and he's describing us we're the ones who are all beaten up and wounded, and this is what the church is for is to heal our wounds in our imperfections. Francis is trying also to impress on us that we need to adapt our style to the times we're living in without compromising doctrine, of course. But we have to make ourselves heard. We have to we have to help people to help themselves, help people to allow themselves to listen again. And we have to maybe even do some startling things like rip roofs up and do dramatic things, dramatic and daring things that certainly will be pleasing to the Lord. So, here's the sermon. I'll bring them along on Sundays, and on the Sundays I'm here, I'll be available to bless objects. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be uh, claimed in, a, in subtle ways. It won't be claimed, I think, probably directly, in terms as stark as I'm about to put them, But there's going to be a a subtle pressure, I think, on uh, many Catholics, on on bishops and on priests, uh, but also those who are deeply engaged with their faith. There's going to be pressure on them to choose between doctrine and discipline on the one hand and charity and kindness on the other. These things are going to be pitted against each other. And therefore, Catholics in general, priests and bishops, who do talk about doctrine in clear terms or talk about the Church's discipline, laws, practice, and governance in clear and strong terms, are going to be accused of being interested only in uh, narrow-minded rules. And the claim will be made that we have to set aside clarity of doctrine and uh, clarity in the rules and the discipline of the church for the sake of charity but of course we reject this don't we we have to reject this we won't be brought into a false dilemma of having to choose between clarity of doctrine and clarity of discipline and the proper rule of law in the church and so forth because we are free to choose both we can do both well we can have clear doctrine and talk clearly in doctrinal terms state the Church's teachings about faith and morals clearly. And we can also talk about the Church's laws and rules and practices and proper governance and so forth in terms that are clear and not uncertain. And we can also be kind about the way that we do it. We can be inviting about the way that we do it, even when we're talking in clear and terms that are not uncertain. We can have both. Doctrine and discipline, and also charity, especially in our choice to perform works of mercy, perform works of charity, both spiritual and corporal. Both of them are very important. As a matter of fact, I I think that for the performance of corporal and spiritual works of mercy in the days ahead, for those Catholics who are very clear in their Catholic identity, who maybe have what I sometimes call... a hard-identity Catholicism, it's not squishy in the sense that, we're wish, that we wish to compromise doctrine or compromise the, the governance of, of the Church for the sake of being nice or appearing to be nice or friendly or warm or welcoming. See, we can do both. It's possible to do both. Works of charity, works of mercy, and putting on a warm, kind, uh, wel- welcoming face and tone is going to be even more important in the future for especially those of us who uh, have such an attraction to the older uh, forms of liturgical worship and clear expressions uh, expressions of faith and morals. We're going to be put on the spot now, I think, more and more in the days ahead. But we have to be daring in this regard. We can't be downhearted about it in any way. Um, I have talked in the last few days to people who are really deeply uh, confused, very frustrated. Some of them are pretty angry, uh, really confused about uh, this long interview that His Holiness Pope Francis gave that was in uh, America Magazine and that has been all over the news. The coverage of this interview has been a little bit confusing. It's been one-sided, but what do we expect from the mainstream media? It's been even a little bit muddled in Catholic media. We have to go to that interview, I think, and read it carefully. It's 12,000 words long, so it's not something that you can easily absorb in one sitting. It'll take a little time for us to sort through this and think about it. But there are some points in it which I think we have to take away with us. First of all, Francis begins the interview by talking about himself as a sinner, And I think this is a good starting point for all of us when we begin to think about our desire for doctrinal clarity or observance of proper rules and discipline in the church and uh, uh, all of those other things that are associated with a a hard identity Catholicism. We have to start from the starting point of of recognizing ourselves as sinners. Sinners very much in need of a savior and very much in need of all that the church wants to give us. And the Church wants to give us doctrine and discipline, too, not just a warm, reassuring feeling about ourselves or about other people. We have to always keep our eye on the fact that we are sinners and therefore very much in need of what the Holy Church has to give and that the Church has Christ's own authority to give it. Another point that we have to then think about from this interview, which um, was very useful. I think one of the most useful things. But it's actually an old kind of an old chestnut, this old this image of the church as a hospital for sinners rather than a museum uh, for, for plaster saints. The way that Pope Francis said it is, I think, even more appropriate. He talked about he said, I see the church as a field hospital after battle. Well, think about how beaten up people are from the world, the flesh, and the devil, their own choices. How much trouble we can do we get ourselves into in life sometimes by our choices when we're especially driven by this appetite or this inclination or that? We can get ourselves into terrible trouble, and we get all beaten up. And sometimes people, and this has happened an awful lot, I think, a lot of people, Catholics out there, who have gotten themselves in lots of trouble and gotten themselves beat up and maybe they don't know quite how to deal with the inclinations that they have or whatever we're, we're all sinners after all they blame the church they blame the church for sometimes being wounded they look, they, look at, they look for someone to blame and isn't this true with children with their parents sometimes they will a child who is frustrated will sometimes turn their anger against their, their parents this is a, a natural thing In this case, we need to be that much more patient, that much more loving, that much more welcoming. We don't compromise the Church's doctrine, teaching and faith and morals. We don't compromise our laws, disciplines. But we have to learn how to deal with this new situation that we have in the world, a post-Christian world, a world which is very much hostile to a lot of the things that the Holy Catholic Church teaches, especially concerning morals. We have to learn how to deal with this new situation. There are obstacles now to being who we are as Catholics. Our Lord gives us a lesson about uh, our gospel passages gives us a lesson today about how dedicated people, daring people deal with obstacles. They pull the roof open in order to let the paralytic man down into the room, this passage from Matthew has a parallel passage in Mark. We see a larger context. This is that famous scene where they were trying to, because of all the massive crowds around the Lord, when he went back to his own town, his own city, Capernaum. They so crowded around that no one could get near. And these friends had their, these these men had their friend there. It was a paralytic lying in this kind of cot thing, the stretcher that they were carrying around. So what did they do? They crawled up onto the roof of the house and, and pulled the roof materials open. They pulled the roof part and lowered the guy down into the center of everybody's attention in order to get Christ's attention so that he would heal their friend. They were daring. They didn't let any obstacle stand in their way of what they wanted to do. And the Lord was deeply impressed with this and the result was this wonderful moment in which he, he both rebukes the hardliners, in a sense, the right-wingers, the, the scribes, for their hardness of heart. He performs a miracle, and he teaches about how this is all connected with our sinful nature. It has to do, everything that we do has to do with forgiveness of sins. It's not just for aesthetic purposes. It's not for intellectual curiosity. It's not for self-satisfaction. It's for nothing other than forgiveness of sins and the possibility of going to heaven and bringing as many people to heaven as possible. And therefore, we choose the, the best means in order to accomplish that. Whatever it is that we might have to adjust in our lives, we have to keep our eyes on that prize of heaven, and determine, especially when we are dealing with our neighbor, the world around us, the little sphere of the world around us that we can influence, how best to accomplish that. What sort of words, what sort of description, what kind of action serves us best in obtaining for ourselves forgiveness of sins, and sanctifying grace and additional graces so that we can can go to heaven, but also bring as many people as we possibly can with us. What will serve us best in that pursuit? Will it be a look that is stern and a tone that seems to be uncompromising? Or will one that is more welcoming, patient, and persuasive win the day? We have to ask ourselves, what is the most apt way, the best way in order to obtain our goal? What way way will serve our purpose best? And then we adjust to that way. Not compromising, not making choices or pitting charity against doctrine and discipline. Choosing them both, but in the right way. This is what Pope Francis, I think, is trying to teach us. In what he's doing. He's upsetting the apple cart, and he has the entire world focused on him. Everybody's talking about him now. Everybody's talking about Francis, Catholics and non Catholics alike. As I watch the social media carefully, as I've watched it for the last few days, I've seen so many people saying, I haven't been going to church for a long time, but this Francis is really something. They're paying attention to him. Some people who have even been hostile towards the church are saying things like, I really like this guy. This is one of the greatest popes I've ever seen. Well, they may be saying that for the wrong reason. They may have been duped by the mainstream media into thinking, for example, that the Church is no longer going to teach that abortion is wrong or that homosexuality is wrong or that contraception is wrong. That's kind of the impression you walk away with with some of these mainstream media stories. But this is absolutely not the case. For example, the very day after um, the, this long interview of Pope Francis' is released, where he's talked about things where he said, Pretty clearly, maybe we've focused on certain questions too much, like you know, abortion or contraception or homosexuality. He turns around, and the very next day, he gives a talk, an address to uh, physicians, Catholic physicians, and he mentions, and he talks about uh, abortion in it very clearly, but in terms that are really beautiful. He talks about even the unborn child being in the image of God has the face of Jesus. And that we're living in a throwaway culture. We've learned how to throw people away too, both the unborn and the elderly, people who are infirm, people who are poor, in the edges, the margins of society. There are all all these people out there have the face of Christ, and they have to be treated with the dignity that they deserve as images, and, and being in the image and likeness of, of God. When we hear about not only Francis' own words, or the words, or how he's being reported in the mainstream media. And it shakes things up a little bit. And maybe you feel the ground shifting under your feet a little bit. But things don't seem quite, you don't quite know where you are. You might get a little disoriented from it. Do not become frustrated. Do not become discouraged. Uh, do not become negative or morose, and certainly don't whine about it to others. Instead, take heart, because uh, in a manner of speaking, uh, Francis is doing something very much, I think, what the friends of this paralytic man did. He kind of took a daring approach. He tore the roof open. In order to let the, the paralyzed man down into the sight of the Lord, we can take this Example of holy daring um, uh, to heart and in the little corner of our lives that we can influence, apply it as well to be daring sometimes. Um, it seems to me that anyone who does not act in a daring Christian way along the lines that even Francis is pointing to will never. Be able to adapt properly to our modern situation and will have, therefore, a very hard time living a good Catholic Christian life according to the vocation to which God has called each one of us, each one of us in our own little sphere. We have to find the proper way, the proper tone uh, of uh, the proper expression of our Christian Catholic joy, which underscores both doctrine. And discipline, but doctrine and discipline which is always manifested to, yoked to, linked to, deeply integrated with corporal and spiritual works of mercy and joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. But if you don't confess your the cold dark, brave land. Oh, it's a cold, dark, brave land. And thus endeth the lesson and with that I'll wrap this up. please come and visit the blog Father Z's blog, which you can find by googling Father Z or by going to fatherzonline.com. Uh, the blog was called "What does the Prayer really Say?" You can still find it at the old address. I just love doing this, wdtprs.com, whiskey, delta, tango, papa, romeo, sierra.com. We have good discussions there, and you can register to comment as well, take part in the discussions. Until next time, please pray for me as I will for you.